49ers send two receivers wide right, two tight ends wide left. Smith in a gun with Gore on his left hip. Third down, Alex takes the snap. Alex look, he's got it. Post, and it's got it. Touchdown! Touchdown, 49ers! <laughs> that is courtesy of Fox and KNBR. And man, what a what a beautiful, sweet play that was. The Vernon Davis post catch uh, will forever live in 49ers history. Legendary play. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. My name is Zach Hernandez. You can find me on Twitter at Zach Hernan. You can follow the podcast at RGS Pod. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Anthony Perry. Anthony, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, Zach. What's going on? And uh, yeah, before we get in with this podcast, we have uh, a little sensitive matter to discuss. So I'm ready to get it rolling, man. But uh, as always, the formalities on Twitter Perry underscore 49ers. It's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49-E-R-S. Yeah, um, there's really no other way to approach it. Then we'll just kind of tackle it head on. 49ers uh, KBR radio host, color commentator Tim Ryan uh, had a bit of a controversy this week as he was joining another KBR radio show talking about the 49ers and Ravens game. And uh, he said that, you know, when the 49ers were trying to, you know, see if the ball was being handed off or not by Lamar Jackson, it was hard to see because the ball is dark colored, the jerseys were dark colored, and his skin is dark colored. So um, obviously these are, you know, can be taken as insensitive words, remarks, and we totally understand that. Um, However, I think we have our own perspectives on it. Anthony, do you want to go first? You want me to go first? No, man, you go first. I'll, uh, I'll wait to build my thoughts on that. <laughs> okay, no problem. Um, my whole stance on the whole thing is um, I don't necessarily think it was malicious or had any sort of ill intent. Or also the thing I'm being told a lot is that um, he was trying to discredit Lamar Jackson and uh, trying to kind of put an asterisk on his historical run that he's had this season and saying that, you know, it's only because he's, he's black essentially. And that it kind of gives him an edge. I really don't think that was the case. Um, I really think that he was merely stating from an observational standpoint, it was physically hard to see the football when it blended in with that little area right there um, where he would hand off the ball or keep it. Um, I don't think that Tim Ryan is was you know meaning anything sort of negatively towards Lamar Jackson. He came out immediately and issued an apology. Um, but I just I can see both sides. I think the way I kind of stand on this is um, while I understand what he was saying, I think it was a dumb way to say it, and I don't think he necessarily needed to state Lamar Jackson's skin color as a reason as to why it was hard. He could have easily have just said with the rain, with the storm and everything, it was kind of hard to see the ball and whether or not it was being handed off or kept by Lamar Jackson. So, I mean, it, it, it I understand both sides, like I said, but it's a very sensitive topic. Um, a lot of people are offended. A lot of people are kind of blown away that this is even offensive to begin with. And, um, you know, I don't think we mentioned this, but Tim Ryan was suspended one game by the 49ers. Um, and you know, he will not be calling the game this Sunday against the saints. Dennis Brown will be taking his place. And he did release a statement, um, following the suspension. And he said that, um, kind of paraphrasing here, but I regret my choice of words. Lamar Jackson is an MVP caliber player and I respect him greatly. I want to sincerely apologize. Um, so that's pretty much where I stand on the whole thing. Like I said, I don't think he meant anything bad by it. However, I do think it was a very, very poor choice of words. Yeah, you pretty much hit on the head. I don't think I have too much to say on it other than that it was an observational thing for Tim Ryan. I mean, you know, it sounds so racist, but at the same time, it's true from a sense. I mean, even the players are saying they had a hard time picking up the ball. But uh, in any event, though, the players had Tim Ryan's back. I think it was necessary to suspend him for one game just to 
just to let the whole situation calm down, get Tim Ryan away from everything, hope that he doesn't face any backlash if he went to New Orleans, and uh, let the situation settle from there. I don't think it's something that they should fire him over, though. I mean, you know, football players on the field say really bad stuff all the time. You hear color commentators get away with that kind of stuff all the time, too. I mean, you know, people are going to burn Tim Ryan for this, but at the same time, Al Michaels, I think this season or last season, literally brought up, Oh, God, I forgot what team it was. But I don't know. If, I, I think you know what I'm talking about. Al Michaels brought up the whole Harvey Weinstein thing. And then it was like some team, you know, they're running worse than Harvey Weinstein's day or something like that. So it's it's stuff like that, you know. I mean, everyone gets a break. It's just the way it works. And, you know, again, I think it's the right move to suspend him, Ryan. I don't think it's the right move to fire him because he seems like he's well-liked amongst all the media. He's well-liked amongst all the players. And... You know, no harm, no foul. He chose the wrong thing to say at the wrong time on the wrong type of network. But I don't think it necessarily means that's who Tim Ryan is as a person. It's just, you know, like you said, he was speaking on he was speaking on observation. So it is what it is. It's time to move on. You know, we got Greg Papa and I think what Dennis Kelly or something like that. But in any Dennis event, Brown. Dennis Brown. Thank you. So in any event, though, you know, let's get it rolling, dude. Time to play the Saints. Yeah, just uh, real quick, kind of following up on what you said, Al Michaels, he said, uh, I believe it was a Giants and Broncos game on Sunday Night Football, and uh, which is kind of a whole lot worse because it is nationally televised. A hell of a lot more people are listening or watching, most likely kids. And uh, he said, I mean, let's face it, the Giants are coming off a worse week than Harvey Weinstein. Just, you know, totally just facepalm statement type of statement, but Let's move on, like you said, onto a very, very important game that the 49ers have ahead of them this Sunday. It is kind of the end of this gauntlet stretch that they have entered into a couple of weeks ago against the Green Bay Packers, um, and they will be facing the New Orleans Saints in the you know uh, Mercedes-Benz Superdome, and the 49ers are relatively healthy coming into this game. Um, you know, they were, they lost, um, they didn't have Matt Breida last week. And then they didn't have, uh, haven't had Joe Staley ever since he came back. He dislocated his finger, but it looks like they might be getting them back. Um, you know, pulling up the injury report here, I know that, um, excuse me, Matt Breida was a fully participant with his ankle injury. Um, and let's see, D Ford was limited with his quad. DJ Jones was limited with an ankle. George Kittle was limited with a knee and an ankle. Dante did not practice. Debo was a fully participant with a shoulder injury. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders fully participated with a rib injury. Richard Sherman limited with a knee injury. Joe Staley limited with a finger injury. Jaquiski Tart uh, did not practice with a rib injury. And Julian Taylor as well with an elbow injury. Um, For the Saints, Andres Pete did not practice with a forearm injury. Kiko Alonso did not practice with a forearm injury. AJ Klein did not practice with a knee injury. Uh, Teron Armstead was a limit was limited, excuse me, with an ankle injury, and um, yeah, it looks like Will uh, Jason Vanderland was limited, and Will Clapp was limited as well. So you know, it's just it's gonna be it's gonna be hopefully back to full strength for the 49ers. I was looking at kind of the rankings here, and the 49ers players that they have on their injury report, which is kind of what has been the case all year. They're of a much higher caliber than the the Saints have on their injury report, so it would be a lot more. I guess it would hurt the 49ers a lot more if they didn't have the majority of those players than it would hurt the Saints if they, you know, didn't have the majority of their players that are injured. So, you know, it it should be good. Hopefully, Joe Staley can come back and and it will be better than it was when he came back against Seattle. But you know, let's move on. Anthony, quickly tell me how do these teams match up? All I can say is is that these are two very well-coached teams, two very physical teams. And I mean, I'm talking physical, like dudes will go up and smack the quarterback the moment they can hit him. And, uh, you know, two very powerful, very zone-heavy uh, offensive lines, if you will. You know, I know the Saints' offensive line is not that healthy, but they're still getting the job done with Drew Brees back there. And overall, you know, I was trying to figure how the Niners can match up against these guys evenly. And, 
you know, you look at all the comparisons, and I think the Niners relatively dominate them by position grouping outside of, obviously, quarterback, uh, maybe running back, maybe wide receiver. But, I mean, the entire defensive side of the ball, I think the Niners have the advantage. But, you know, the Saints are one of those teams that can go out there and they can blow up for 40 points instantly and you wouldn't even notice. So the Niners' defense needs to be ready. The Niners' offense needs to be ready because this, uh, the Saints is back seven. They have a decent secondary. I know Marshawn Lattimore has not been doing too well this year, but he's still Marshawn Lattimore. He's still arguably one of the best corners in the league. But the thing to worry about, though, is the front four, man. Marcus Davenport, Cam Jordan, God, I think Sheldon Rankins. You know, they have studs up front on that defensive line, and this offensive line is going to be is going to need to be ready. So it sounds like Joe Staley is going to play. A lot of people have been clamoring for him not to play. But, you know, we'll get to that later in the show because I think Daniel Brunskill has been playing his ass off, but I do want to see Joe Staley. So, you know, it kind of goes both ways. But overall, I think these teams match up very evenly. They're both pretty solid defensively. Oh, okay, I take that back. The Niners are, you know, the best defensively, but the Saints are pretty good too. But the offenses on both teams are very good, and obviously they're, you know, some of the best coach teams in all of football. So, you know, you break it down, just not on paper, but just like the eye test, and you see that this is going to be one of those games that could literally be decided by one score or fewer. So, you know, it goes both ways. Both teams have their advantages and disadvantages, but it it matches up very evenly, in my opinion. And it's going to be one hell of a game this Sunday. Yeah, I agree. It's it's definitely going to be a hell of a game. I think that um, the 49ers, as talented as the New Orleans Saints are, I definitely think the 49ers are the more overall talented team. Um, I think the 49ers defense is immensely better than the Saints defense. And while the Saints offense, um, you know, like you said, Drew Brees is a Hall of Fame quarterback. They have a likely MVP in Michael Thomas out on the outside. However, um, I, I don't think that it'll be enough for the Saints to kind of bury the 49ers, put them away. Um, so I definitely like the 49ers chances in this game. But I definitely think the 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 def, the def, excuse me the 49ers defense is going to be the the main you know X factor in this game and I think they will come to play. Um, I I definitely like the fact that they stayed in Florida. We'll talk about that a little later. But I I think that they're they're going to be fired up. They're going to be ready to go. They know what this this game means. They know what it means for the playoffs. They know what it means for the uh, the seeding. They know what it means for winning their division. I think they're going to be ready to go, um, and it's it's going to be a battle. Now, we kind of talked a little bit about 49ers defense, Saints defense, you know, vice versa. When I think of the New Orleans Saints defense, my mind kind of immediately goes to a couple of players, but up front on the, on the the in the trenches, I think of Marcus Davenport and Cam Jordan. How can the 49ers plan to stop these two guys? Um... I think we're going to see a lot of chips, a lot of chip blocks. We're going to see a lot of crack blocks. And, I mean, we saw the video a few weeks ago of Larry Fitzgerald just bombing Nick Bosa. And, I mean, that you know, that should be an illegal block. I do agree with what Nick Bosa said at the time. But um, in any event, though, to stop Marcus Davenport and Cam Jordan, this is going to be one of those games where Jimmy Garoppolo's release point is going to heavily be tested. And again, I brought it up just a second ago, but we could see a lot of chip blocks. We could see a lot of double teams on either or. You know, it's one of those things where I'm not too afraid of our tackles being matched up one-on-one against each guy. But also keep in mind, too, that each guy can single-handedly wreck the game. So it kind of goes both ways. And, you know, it depends on how much confidence you have in the tackles. I mean, Mike McGlinchey has been playing very solid in pass protection the past few weeks. And obviously, Daniel Brunskill has been really good. We'll have to see if Joe Staley is going to come in and start because if Staley starts, likely, you know, Davenport and Cam Jordan kind of switch off on each side, so we'll have to see how it goes. But if Davenport matches up on Staley, I think Staley can match up with him just because Davenport is more of a bull rush edge guy. He's more of a power guy. He hasn't necessarily developed quick finesse moves just yet. And I think one thing that Joe Staley has been bad at this season is defending speed rushers. 
And we saw with guys like Clowney, even though he was supposedly hurt uh, at the beginning of the season, I think he struggled with Jason Pierre-Paul and Carl Lawson against the Bengals and Bucks. So I think Joe Staley can match up against the power, but I don't know if he can match up against the speed. But in any event, either or guy plays between Staley and Brunskill, I think they should be okay going forward. But overall, Zach, I think the Niners and Shanahan are going to look to get quick passes off once again. I know Jimmy Garoppolo's release really sets the Niners up for that going forward. But when you're going up against edge guys of this caliber, I think Shanahan is going to try and game plan around both of his tackles. And he could focus on inside runs more. Depending on how they do on outside zone runs, we could see a lot of Brito. We could see a lot of Mostert. We'll have to see. But... I think the game plan on offense, if we're not looking at offensive players, is to game plan and scheme around Davenport and Jordan because all it takes is one sack, one forced fumble to change the tide of the game. I mean, look what happened with the Ravens, you know. All it took was one fumble for them to score, and that damn near decided the game. So look for Shanahan to really try and neutralize those two by getting Jimmy Garoppolo set up with quick passes, short screens, draw plays, things of that nature, just to take the pressure off the edge and the tackles. Yeah, I I totally agree, especially, you know, quick passes. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has kind of this season been notably really, really quick at releasing the football. I don't have the, the stat right here, but I think it was something like close to two seconds. The ball is usually out. And I think that you know, that has a lot to do with Kyle kind of scheming up where the ball is supposed to go. Jimmy knows going into, you know, pre-snap where his first read is, obviously, but that not only is it his first read, but it should be open depending if it's, you know, if it's executed correctly or if they get the looks that they, they, they plan on getting. So I think that he definitely needs to continue to keep getting the ball out quickly. Um, just like you said, ball security is pivotal, pivotal, pivotal in this game. The 49ers cannot afford to, um, you know, have Jimmy Garoppolo be a throwing interceptions and be getting sacked and fumble. You know, it's just, it's not really, it's, it's not going to be acceptable. Winning teams don't do that. Playoff teams don't do that. And he really needs to make sure to protect the ball. Um, you know, Cameron Jordan, Marcus Davenport, a very, very talented line. It reminds me of um, almost of the, the Smith brothers a couple of weeks ago. However, they were kind of neutralized immediately when the 49ers got out to that big lead and they never really looked back. Um, as far as, you know, Jordan and Davenport on, you know, their Thanksgiving performance, the pair combined, I saw this for uh, pro football focus, the pair combined for 15 quarterback pressures, 10 of which belonged to Jordan and seven stops. Um, they were ranked, you know, one and two respectively and overall, qualifying edge rushers in week 13. So there are two very, very talented uh, edge rushers and the 49ers are definitely going to have their hands full. Um, You know, like you said, Brunskill had been playing really, really well, well enough to the fact that, you know, uh, Kyle Shanahan pulled him uh, pulled, excuse me, Justin school out of the game and put Brunskill in when he wasn't performing well enough. And Brunskill, you know, totally solidified up that side of the line. So if, if Staley's coming back, it's going to be, he's going to have his hands full. And, you know, J- Joe Staley's a legend. He's, you know, most likely a Hall of Famer. I definitely think that it's going to be a big test for him. And I really, really hope he's up to par because I don't know if, if Coach Shanahan is going to feel comfortable pulling him mid-game to put in Brunskill if he's not playing well enough. So there's just a lot that's going on. But as far as stopping these guys, neutralizing them to the best of the 49ers' ability, um, getting the ball out quickly, getting the running game going, quick screen passes, or excuse me, not quick screen passes, screen passes, um, and you know, most importantly, getting out to a lead early and building on it and making a big lead as 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 soon as you can, because then you know that kind of really really neutralizes a pass rush. Um, I I would really like to see the running game get going too. That's 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 a you know key to kind of neutralizing these guys. Now. Also in the Saints defense, they have linebacker Demario Davis, who's been playing extremely well this season. Um, how can the 49ers win that matchup going into Sunday? I think Demario Davis is a very solid run-stopping linebacker. He's getting up there in age, so he doesn't have that first step like he used to when he was with the Jets. But that doesn't excuse him being a good linebacker because he's still really solid. So I think... 
Shanahan is going to try and exploit Demario Davis by getting a slot receiver on him, whether it's Bourne, whether it's uh, God Sanders, depending on if he plays a slot or Debo, whoever it may be. You know, one of uh, one of Shanahan's favorite things to do is get mismatches. That's what sets up the pass game entirely, and you know we could very well see it. Again, Demario Davis is a solid linebacker. He's really good at run defense. He's pretty good in coverage. He's not super good, but he's pretty good. So according to PFF, his overall grade is an 86, which is like elite. That's like top of the linebacking stuff. His run defense is an 86, but his coverage is a 79. So a 79 coverage grade is still really good, but it's not like Quan Alexander good. It's He can make a play when he needs to, but don't expect him to, you know, break up a pass every single time or stop someone every single time. So this is the perfect time for someone like George Kittle to come in. I think Kittle's the best tight end in football. He's one of the best pass-catching tight ends in all of football. And, you know, DeMario Davis is good, but I don't think he has the necessary skill set to match up with George Kittle. We could see a lot of that one-on-one. I know Saints are very physical. Uh, God, who's their defensive coordinator? It's the former Raiders head coach, Dennis Allen. Dennis Allen is very physical. He's a very aggressive defensive coordinator who likes to blitz his butt off when he can. He likes to see a lot of man coverage. Eli Apple and Marshawn Lattimore, uh, the safeties come down. They'll match up on a tight end. and This could be one of those breakout George Kittle games where we can see him bust out 100-plus yards no matter who he's against. So going forward, in particular, Demario Davis, I think the Niners are going to try to avoid running up the middle. Now, I know I brought it up earlier how the Niners could run up the middle if they want to avoid the edge. But if the edge guys are kind of struggling and the guys are hitting their zones running, I think the Niners could more or less try to push the outside rather than up the middle. Because again, Demario Davis is very good in run defense. But he doesn't have that sideline to sideline speed like he used to. So this could be the perfect game for Matt Breida, Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert, even Jeff Wilson if he's active to get around the corner and make a play. So going forward, you know, outside zone runs on Demario Davis should be a good way to stop him. Uh, George Kittle matched up on him one-on-one should be another good way to stop him. But at the same time, it's one of those things where I think that they should not necessarily avoid him, at least when running the ball, but try and stay out of his way on occasion because Demario Davis is having a Pro Bowl season and he's playing like a top 10 linebacker. So, you know, there's not more you can do. Get George Kittle on his ass, run the damn ball around him, make sure he doesn't make a play because he can make some noise on that defensive seven. Yeah, um, he, he he's definitely a good player. And the 49ers, I think they can look to exploit him a few different ways. And you mentioned it there in your answer, but I would personally like to see George Kittle matched up on him. Um, I, I know, obviously, it's not the offense's choice who's going to be shadowing uh, receivers, tight ends. But I definitely think that if the 49ers can kind of scheme it to where George Kittle is in, you know, on Davis's target or however you want to say it, um, I think they can they can win that matchup. I think George Kittle is much faster than him. I think he can be more physical even and I definitely like that matchup for the 49ers as far as passing. Um, and, you know, with 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 the run game, I definitely think that, you know, guys like Mostert, a little bit of a scat back type, I guess you can call them, with, with speed, Brita, if, um, if he plays when he's healthy, which it kind of looks like he is, I think they have the advantage there. So I think the 49ers, um, as talented as DeMario Davis is, I think they could win that matchup. I don't think he's going to be um, the X factor. And, you know, I mean, no disrespect to him whatsoever. He's a great player. I just think the 49ers have a bit of an edge in that that scenario. Um, you kind of alluded to some of the 49ers receivers there. Which 49ers receiver do you think has the biggest day? I think it's going to be the wide receiver that's not matched up on Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, no, I don't think the Niners wide receivers are necessarily to the point where Lattimore is going to have to shadow one of them the whole game. Now, you see teams do this a lot with more physical corners like Marlon Humphrey, Jalen Ramsey. Uh, I mean, obviously, Marshall Lattimore, you know, these kind of guys will, they shadow top wide receivers. And I mean, in the NFC South, 
It's one of my favorite divisions because there's so much talent in there. But one of my favorite matchups is watching Marshawn Lattimore and Mike Evans. That's a good example of shadow coverage where you see Marshawn Lattimore just constantly get on Mike Evans' ass all game. And it's one of the best physical one-on-one matchups you can watch in all of football because you have a top five corner, you have a top five wide receiver going at it, and it's just a lot of fun to watch. So more or less, I think, to get away from Marshawn Lattimore, I think he's just going to be on whatever side of the field he's on. And... I think it could be one of those things where he plays a hot hand. Dennis Allen will have him play the hot hand. So, for example, if Emmanuel Sanders in the first half or first quarter already has, say, four catches, 50 yards, you know, you could see Lattimore be on that side of the field more with Sanders. Or if Debo Samuel has a good first half, you could see Lattimore kind of shadow him a lot more. So it goes both ways. The The Saints have pretty solid corners. Lattimore has been good. Eli Apple has been a surprise He's been playing a lot better. I don't think he's lived up to that draft status, but having a good pass rush and having a good corner opposite him has really taken the pressure off Apple, so he's been able to have a really good season. But in in terms of who I think is going to have the hot hand, sorry to avoid the question, I think it's going to be Debo. I think Shanahan needs to ride Debo. He needs to ride the hot train. Let him get going because that dude is a yak monster. I brought it up in a podcast before how the Niners had the most yak yards since like the Redskins and the Giants six years ago. So it could be another one of those games where we see a lot of yak. We see a lot of crossing routes. We see a lot of times where Jimmy G releases the ball, gets the ball into the hands of Debo, Emmanuel Sanders, Kendrick Bourne quickly, and just let them make a play from there. It's going to be one of those things where the Niners need to avoid the Saints pass rush because we brought it up, dude. It's one of the best pass rushes in the league. They have an entire front four that's arguably as talented as ours. So going forward, getting the ball out of Jimmy G's hands fast, getting the ball into either wide receiver, whether it's Sanders, Debo, Bourne, etc., you name it, is the biggest key to stopping this front four, biggest key to stopping the Saints defense. But like I said, I think it starts with Debo. Let the young kid, you know, make some plays. We saw him do it against Marcus Peters. We saw him do it the week before. We saw him do it the week before that and so on and so on. So Debo is definitely trending up in the right direction in this offense. And the more time he has to play in it, the better of a playmaker he can become. And I think we're really watching it happen before our eyes because he looks really, really good. Okay, I like it. I definitely like your reasoning there. Um, For the sake of not doubling down on Debo, I'm going to go with with the veteran Emmanuel Sanders. Um, We saw him lighting it up fresh out the gate in a 49ers uniform, and then he got that rib injury, and it kind of all was put on pause um, and you know, last week with the rain, it was kind of hard for any receiver to have a good game. I think he gets back to it this week. I really think, uh, he does. And I think that, you know, he's veteran enough to understand, uh, the Saints' scheme. And if they're playing zone, he's, you know, experienced enough to know where to, to find that comfortable spot in zone. I think he's physical and kind of shifty enough to, to beat you in man coverage. I think he's going to be the guy. And not only that, but it's going to be a very, very important game where every one of Garoppolo's throws is kind of, uh, there's going to be a lot riding on it. And I think that he needs to know that he's throwing it to somebody he can trust. Uh, somebody that's going to go up and fight for the ball. And that's not just going to kind of let it get intercepted in front of him and not make a play on it. Um, not that I think any of the 49ers receivers would do that, but you know, just saying that, you, you know for 100% that Emmanuel Sanders will make a play for the ball regardless of, of the scenario. Um, so I definitely like him in this matchup. I think he gets back to it. It's a big game, big-time player step up. I think he's definitely a big-time player for the 49ers. Um, now, as far as the the backfield, Raheem Moster had a career day last, last week against the Ravens. Uh, does he have a repeat performance of that, or do you think another running back steps up? That's a good question. I think that Mostert is going to, like, his touches should be increased because he is extremely effective, but they need him on special teams. They can't take the chance that something happens to him running the ball. I'm not saying he won't get any touches, but I don't think he's going to get the type of touches that he did in the Ravens game. But I also think it depends on, one, how healthy Matt Breida is, on how, uh, excuse me, on how healthy Matt Breida is because... You know, this dude gets an ankle injury every week, every other week. And I really am glad that he plays through it. The guy is a tough, young, 
ball player that just wants to go out there and just run and play. But I think Shanahan really cares about the dude's health. He really cares about the guy wanting to go out there, be healthy, be ready to play moving forward because we really need Brito. We really do. And I know he wants to play, but I think keeping him off the field or even when he comes off and says, ah, coach, my ankle's a little sore. I don't think Shanahan should shut it down, but I think Shanahan should look at Mostert and go, all right, you need to be ready to get some carries. So it depends on how healthy Brita is. And two, though, which I don't think a lot of people have talked about enough, is Tevin Coleman. Tevin Coleman, ever since that Carolina game, has struggled badly. I don't know if it's something that we don't notice. Maybe he's hurt. Maybe he's just slumping. I mean, the dude doesn't diagnose running lanes really fast. But we see him go out there, and we see him play, and you know he has the talent to bust out big plays. He's he's done it. We've seen it. He's done it in Shanahan's offense before in 2016. He's done it this season, obviously. And I don't know what's going on with the inconsistency. It's really weird. So he could just be slumping. But overall, I do think Brita has the ability to have a big game. I don't know if Moster is going to get the touches based on one, Brita's health, and two, Tevin Coleman's I guess, inconsistency, if you will. But you know Shanahan, man. He will match up anything and anyone. He doesn't care who you are. You know, he'll he'll probably line up at George Kittle at running back for all we care, man. Shanahan is crazy, but he's one of the best offensive coaches in the league. He's one of the best coaches in the league. And going forward, it's just, you know, it really all depends. But to close this out, Breida should get the touches he needs. If he's unhealthy, Mostert should come in, grab some of those touches, but it depends on if Tevin Coleman is effective or ineffective. And quite frankly, I think in this kind of game, I think we need all the running backs to be effective because establishing the ground game, giving Jimmy Garoppolo a chance to set up play action is going to be really key if we want to beat the Saints defense. Yeah, I, I agree. And I definitely don't think, um, unfortunately, that Raheem Mostert is going to have a repeat performance of last week. That was a very, very spectacular performance on his end. Um, I don't think that that's something you can expect from any player in, in the NFL, let alone a guy who's roughly, you know, two spots, three spots down on the depth chart uh, when fully healthy. So um, mainly because of that, I think that he's going to have more of a reserved role on offense. Um, I would like to see him be more involved. He kind of proved last week that he is deserving of more snaps, more targets, more carries, whatever it may be. I, I would like to see him get more involved, especially on games that, uh, like you just said, Tevin Coleman doesn't really seem to be feeling it or not being able to find success. Uh, switch it up and see if Raheem Mostert can do it. Um, but I think Matt Breida is going to be the back this week. Um, he had some rest. He, he missed, uh, I think two games or so, and I think he'll come back out and be ready to go. And I think he'll find success against, uh, this tough new Orleans saints defense. Um, what about Jimmy Garoppolo? Probably the main X factor for the 49ers. Um, do you think he continues to play at a high level? Yeah, I think so. I don't think this is going to be one of those games where we see Jimmy Garoppolo throw like four touchdowns, 400 plus yards. You know, we'll save it for the predictions, but I don't think it's going to be that kind of game. But I do think it's going to be like the Ravens game where he's going to be very good managing the ball. He's going to be effective when we need him to, and he's going to just provide in the clutch when we need him to be clutch. So with Jimmy Garoppolo, I think it really depends on the run game. I mean, we've seen it where the run game can't get going, like in the Arizona games, arguably the New Orleans games. And, I mean, the run game was good in Baltimore, but, I mean, Garoppolo still passed pretty well in Baltimore too. But if the run game can't get going against New Orleans, I think this is going to be one of those Jimmy Garoppolo-type games. And, you know, we talk about how pretty solid the Saints' backfield is, or, excuse me, their secondary is, but I don't think they're... Good, good. I don't think there's something you go after and you say, ah, oh, man, you know, this is uh, this is something we need to look out for. Marshawn Lattimore is good. The safeties are pretty solid. I think it's what Marcus Williams and, uh, oh, I forget his name. I won't say Von Bill, but I don't think he's on the team anymore. But the point being, though, you know, the safeties are pretty okay. Eli Apple's not bad. But this is one of those games where if it comes down to Jimmy Garoppolo throwing the ball, Jimmy Garoppolo will have a day. I don't necessarily 
think he'll have a day because I do believe in the run game. It's looked really good since George Kittle's come back, and I think it's going to be really good once again because George Kittle's phenomenal, man. You know, shout out to Doug Gottlieb for saying that George Kittle is not a good blocking tight end. Like, bro, what are you talking about? This is literally the best blocking tight end in all of football. And and the dude saying like, oh, well, well, he can match up one-on-one like Gronkowski, dude. And I'm like, dude, George Kittle is like literally flinging defensive ends and linebackers off the camera. That's how good he's blocking. But I digress, man. The run game should be able to get going. I think it's going to be a good Jimmy Garoppolo game, but I don't think we're going to need him to be a great Jimmy Garoppolo game because I think Shanahan is going to scheme open the hell out of his team. I think he's going to exploit Dennis Allen. And keep in mind, too, Dennis Allen has been with New Orleans for a long time, and I think he was the defensive coordinator when Shanahan was in Atlanta. So Shanahan should be able to pick up on the tendencies that Dennis Allen runs, and it could be one of those games where... You know, Kyle Shanahan knows Dennis Allen like the back of his hand. And, you know, Robert Sala is a good defensive coordinator, so I don't think he's tripping about the Saints' offense. So this will really be, I guess you could say this will solely be based on Kyle Shanahan calling one of the best games of his life. Because if he can do that, man, I think we can put up 40 on the Saints. I really do. You know, it's funny you say 40 specifically because I was watching uh, Pro Football Talk earlier today. And they were kind of going into it about um, the 49ers and the Saints and Kyle Shanahan, just like you said, being familiar, uh, playing Sean Payton and Dennis Allen and, you know, being from Atlanta. And the last two matchups that Kyle Shanahan had against the Saints, I think the the Falcons put up something like 42 and 38 points. So they averaged 40 points their last season against the Saints. Um, so I definitely think he's going to be, you know, knowing where they can exploit this defense and sure, you know, it's changed since he's been here, but for the most part, it probably, there's not much difference. Um, Sean Payton's still the same coach, uh, you know, they still got most of the same guys there. So I, I think that Kyle should be able to coach up a really good game for Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, as long as he limits the boneheaded mistakes that we've seen him capable of making I think he's gonna have a good game um I know you said he's not gonna have a a huge game I think he's gonna have a relatively big game especially because this is gonna be a a big another you know for it seems like I'm on a broken record here but it's a statement game for the 49ers um I think if Jimmy comes out plays a big game and I'll save my stat predictions till the end um but I think that if he comes out and says, say he throws for, you know, two or three touchdowns, no interceptions or no turnovers in general, then I think that, you know, the league's going to start accepting him as one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. He's going to start getting some respect. So I think he's going to have a big game. I think Kyle's going to be able to coach him up to have a big game, more importantly. And I think that, you know, it's going to be enough for the 49ers. Um, you know, we kind of talked about the 49ers offense going against Saints defense. Now, what about the other side of the ball? Let's move on to the Saints offense going up against the 49ers defense. Um, You know, we've talked about Drew Brees a little bit. He's always a massive threat. His age almost appears to be catching up with him. Um, A little similar to Tom Brady. How can the 49ers get him off his game on Sunday? So, to stop Drew Brees, they're going to need to hit him. And they're going to need to give him no time to throw the ball. I think Drew Brees is starting to he's starting to work his arm strength into the category of Philip Rivers. Now I'm not comparing Drew Brees to Philip Rivers, but I am comparing the arm strength because Drew Brees' arm strength has dropped off dramatically. He will still get the ball deep if he has to, but it doesn't have that same type of oomph. It doesn't have that same type of drive like it used to. And I mean obviously the dude's what, forty one. So or 39, I think 40. He's old. The point is, is he's old and he doesn't have the same deep ball that he used to. But just because he doesn't have the deep ball doesn't mean he still has the threats at his disposal. Ted Ginn Jr. is like, you know, you think about Ted Ginn Jr. and this dude has been on the Niners, the Dolphins, I think the Panthers, and now the Saints. The dude has been everywhere and Ted Ginn feels like he's been in the league since like I was a child. The dude, I swear to God, I think Ted Ginn is 40. But really, he's like 33 or 34. But my point being, though, is that Ted Ginn, Michael Thomas, Keith Kirkwood, 
you know, guys other than Michael Thomas and Ted Ginn, other wide receivers you've never really heard of, Traquan Smith, these guys like go out there and they make plays. And I think a lot of it has to do with Drew Brees' ball placement, man. His wide receivers outside of Michael Thomas aren't super good, but they aren't super bad either. They're pretty solid. But one thing that makes Drew Brees Drew Brees is his ball placement. The guy has one of the best accurate arms in all of football, and he's not afraid to go out there and still throw the ball and place it right where it needs to be. So stopping Drew Brees, I think it starts with hitting him, pressure the dude in his face, make him throw underneath. The the uh, excuse me, the wide receiver the Saints, they're not super yak guys, so expect our DBs and linebackers to really hit them fast and hit them quick outside of Michael Thomas. You know, the big connection with Drew Brees is that the guy will almost always look to Michael Thomas nowadays because Michael Thomas is having an MVP-type season, which no one is talking about. So look for him to target Michael Thomas. I wouldn't be surprised if Salah decides to double Michael Thomas. I I think the DBs can match up with Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas is a really physical, aggressive wide receiver who can win at the point of attack. The guy will win jump balls. The guy will win contested catches. He's just solid. So expect him to be doubled. Uh, same thing goes for Alvin Kamara. You know, expect those checkdowns. Expect guys like Kwan, Sherman, Mosley, Spoon, the linebackers to play the flats because Kamara will come out. He will run the flat and he will turn the corner faster than you can imagine. Kamara has that kind of speed. Now, I know Kamara has been struggling this season, but one thing I've learned is that you should never, ever overlook a struggling player because they are bound to blow up instantly. It's like, it's like this is kind of a funny example, but like when Melo came back to the Blazers, Melo is having like one hell of a season, dude. And I know it's football and basketball, but the point being is that these these old farts and these dudes will come out of nowhere and drop 20s and 30s like it's nothing. Now, I know Kamara isn't an old fart, but the dude is ready to have that kind of game again, and I think Sean Payton is going to be ready to give Kamara that kind of game. So, to prevent everything from happening, man, we got to hit Drew Brees. The offensive line has not been good for the Saints. The pass rush needs to hit home. I don't think Salah is going to blitz much, but when he does, I expect those guys to pressure them instantly. This is going to be a huge D Ford game, Eric Armstead game, DeForest Buckner game, Nick Bosa game. Hell, I'm even going to throw in Solomon Thomas. I think he's going to get a sack on the day. That's how confident I am in these guys. But, man, Zach, they got to hit Drew Brees. In order to beat the Saints, you got to hit the Saints, man. And it starts with Drew Brees. Take him down. Get his ass on the ground. Let the defense do the rest of the work. And it's going to be a dominant game through and through. You know, you you definitely hit the nail on the head for me uh, as far as getting Drew Brees off of his game by, by hitting him and constantly blitzing him and just kind of pressuring him. I was looking up the quarterback comparison via Pro Football Focus, and although their overall grade between Jimmy Garoppolo and Drew Brees may seem like a large difference, um, almost 20 points, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo overall is 73.1, while Drew Brees is a 91. Um, The passer rating, you can kind of tell where Drew Brees struggles. Um, when when it's clean, we has a, a clean pocket, no pressure. He has 112.7 passer rating. However, when he's under pressure, that drops all the way down to 76.3. And while it's still, you know, roughly average or so, I definitely think the 49ers have obviously a much better chance of winning this game when they pressure Drew Brees into kind of throwing, you know, forced throws and, and you know, kind of tight contested windows and where the 49ers have a chance of making a play on the ball. I definitely like their chances in that scenario. Um, so that that's definitely where they, they need to, to pressure Drew Brees. Uh, like you said, the edge rushers, D Ford, Nick Bosa, Solly, um, DJ Jones, if he plays, guys like that, they definitely, you know, Defoe even, um, Eric Armstead, they need to have a big game and help out the back end of the defense. And, you know, Drew Brees, whenever you have the chance to get home on him, you do it, you make sure. The 49ers are probably going to feel right back at home when they're finally facing a not mobile quarterback like they did last week, Lamar Jackson. So hopefully they, they make big on that and they, you know, kind of capitalize on that and they're able to get a lot of, a lot of sacks, a lot of pressures, a lot of quarterback hits, whatever it may be. They need them. Um, Also, I noticed he doesn't really, he's, he's playing a lot more conservatively this year. Um, Pro football focus has his big time, throw percentage at 1.93 percent 
whereas Jimmy Garoppolo's 2.59%. However, on the flip side, turnover-worthy plays, Jimmy Garoppolo's up at 3.77%, whereas Drew Brees is down at 1.16%. So I think what that says to me for Jimmy Garoppolo is he's a gunslinger. Um, You get hit or miss with him. He's going to take more chances, but he's going to throw more interceptions at the same time. Whereas Drew Brees this season, he's been playing it a lot closer to the vest. He hasn't been uh, airing it out. He hasn't been taking chances. He's not throwing the big time throws. He's playing a lot more conservatively. He's, you know, effectively going for the check down more so than the bomb. So I think the 49ers can definitely force him into, you know, throwing the ball where necessarily it wouldn't be the huge play, um, especially if they're able to get pressure on him early and often. I think that they, you know, I like their chances. They have one of the best defensive lines. They have the best defensive line, excuse me, in all of football. So if anybody can do it, it's them. Um, You know, you kind of spoke about Michael Thomas and he's, you know, quietly having an MVP caliber year. Now, can the 49ers stop him or do they just simply hope to limit the damage that he can cause? Michael Thomas will find a way to get open, whether it's finding a soft spot in zone, whether it's beating his man one-on-one, whatever it may be, Michael Thomas will find a way to get open and find a way to make the play with the ball in his hands. So, to stop Michael Thomas, I think they just got to let him go, man. Overall, you're not going to hold Michael Thomas to two or three catches. The guy will go out there and he will put up his numbers. He will go out there and constantly put up six, seven catches, 80 yards, 90 yards, you name it. So a lot of it does depend on getting getting the pressure to Drew Brees, if you will. But to limit Michael Thomas, I think a good game is like what I said. Hold him to like five or six catches, 80 or 90 yards. And I mean... I'm not saying that's the best the Niners defense can do because I think Sherman should be able to go out there and lock up Thomas. I think Mosley and or Witherspoon will have more of a problem with Michael Thomas if they're matched up on him. Thomas has a way of just abusing DBs, man. He has a way to go up there and just... The the guy has the strongest hands in all of football. Drew Brees can throw the ball anywhere within his area and Michael Thomas will come down with it. So... The DB's got to be physical with Thomas if they want to stop him. They got to knock him off his route, press him off the line of scrimmage, hope to just throw off his timing and go forward from there. Because Thomas, like I said, he's like Kamara, man. He's He'll go out there and he'll blow up and no one will be surprised because that's how good he is. So to hold Thomas rather than just neutralize him, I think would be the best way to go about it. But you know who knows how Salah's coaching these guys up. That's obviously why I'm not a coach. But... You know, from a fan's perspective, in my opinion, being able to slow down Michael Thomas, being able to limit the damage, like you said, I think is the biggest key to limit the passing game overall. Now, I think the rest of the DBs can match up well against the Saints as wide receivers and even tight ends. You know, Warner's really good in coverage. Greenlaw is really good in coverage. Uh, Drew Brees likes to target Jared Cook when he needs to. Now, one thing we haven't brought up yet is Taysom Hill. He's another guy that the Saints just... They use him however they please, man. The dude is like a Swiss Army knife. He can play special teams. He can return kicks. He can run the ball. He can pass the ball. He can catch the ball. He can block. He can do whatever you need him to do. So limiting Taysom Hill, I think, is just as important as limiting Michael Thomas. So you take away the key pieces of the offense, you take it apart, and it should make the defense's day that much easier. So it starts with Michael Thomas, though. Limit him. Don't let him get over the top. Don't let him get in the middle of the field where he really excels at catching the ball. And contain him to the best of their ability. And I think the Niners defense can do that. I, you know, I understand where you're coming from, but I definitely disagree. I think the 49ers can limit him. Um, I was looking up Michael Thomas's stats right now. And, I mean, on Thursday night against the Falcons, they held him to six receptions on forty-eight with 48 yards. Um, with only a long of 14, and although that long pass of 14 kind of came at a very, very crucial moment for them to to win the game, um, I definitely think that they're not, um, excuse me, they're not able to, the, the, the 49ers are able to, excuse me, um, to, to keep them in check. I think they will be able to. Um, I definitely don't think that they're going to be able to shut him down completely and put him out there like you know old school Revis Island status but I think that he won't be and I hope I'm not going to be eating crow come Monday but I definitely don't think he's going to be um 
you know, MVP caliber Michael Thomas. He's going to get his numbers, sure. But, you know, even against, you know, I'm looking up here. That was his worst game of the season uh, on Thursday night against the Falcons. And then before that, his worst game was uh, against the Seattle Seahawks. They held him to uh, 54 yards on five catches in one score. And this whole scheme is kind of based off of Seattle's scheme. So I definitely think the 49ers are the more talented uh, secondary. They have, you know, they're kind of having a historic season as far as pass defense. Number one pass defense in the NFL. Same thing with the defensive line and Drew Brees getting pressure. Same thing applies to um, the 49ers secondary and stopping an elite receiver like Michael Thomas. I think if anybody can do it, they can do it. And, you know, he's he's definitely not known to be a, a speed guy. He's more of a physical receiver. He doesn't need to have the separation. He can make the contested catches. So it's going to be a tough matchup for sure. Um, but I, I still, you know, I still like the 49ers chances here, especially if they're able to put up, uh, excuse me, make pressure, generate pressure up front. It definitely helps out the back end if Drew Brees has a second or two to get the ball out before he's about to be, you know, obliterated essentially. Moving on to the Saints' backfield, um, we talked about them a little bit earlier. Alvin Kamara, Latavius Murray, they're, ha- they're you know a very, very formidable group uh, in the Saints' backfield. How do you like the 49ers' linebackers matched up on them? So I brought up how Kamara can break out for a big game whenever he needs to, but I don't think he will. I think Warner, Greenlaw, Aziz Alshair are the best young linebackers in football. Dre Greenlaw is one of the best covered linebackers in all of football, and I think he matches up well against any tight end they throw at him. But since we're talking about the backfield, I think Greenlaw can match up with Kamara or Latavius Murray out wide if they need to. You know, these are two really dynamic running backs that can break out for anything at any time. Latavius Murray, you know, former Raiders star, solid Vikings running back, currently a solid running back, uh, solid running back for the Saints now. And I think he's one of those guys that you need to look out for. You know, Latavius Murray kind of reminds me of like Tevin Coleman. He's a hard physical runner who will always fight for yards. He can catch out of the backfield, but he won't have a big game every game. But when he does have a big game, it's a really good big game. So going forward, I think stopping Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara is going to be the two biggest things. But I think the front four and the linebackers match up very well against the Saints. I think the running game for the Saints will not be able to get going. Kamara has struggled. Latavius Murray has struggled at times. And Salah should be able to just exploit the hell out of these guys and just, you know, give Sean Payton and the offense fits. So... They're, they're good, man. They're good running backs, but I think Salah and those boys on defense are even better, and I think they can stop those guys and neutralize them for the whole game. You know, I, I agree with you on that. I definitely like the 49ers linebackers' uh, chances there. As good of a running back as – or running backs, I should say, Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray can be, um, I definitely think that they've kind of been having an off year, um, and I think the 49ers – we haven't even mentioned Fred Warner once yet. And, you know, I'm going to go out here on a limb. He should be considered in the MVP talk. I de- or, excuse me, not MVP, defensive player of the year talk. I definitely think he's having that sort of a year, especially since Quan Alexander got injured. He has been playing absolutely hair on fire, elite football. And, it, you know, outside of 49ers fan, it's not really being talked about. Um, he's not getting any love. I know he just got uh, Player of the Month. We'll get into that a little bit later. But outside of that, he's not really being discussed on ESPN. He's not being discussed on NFL Network or Morning Football, whatever it may be. I don't hear much about him. Let's give the man some credit. I definitely like his chances going up against Alvin Kamara. I will go with Fred Warner every day. Um, so I think the 49ers, um, if they, they force the uh, Saints to kind of run the ball I like the, their chances there, and I definitely think that the Saints, although they can do some damage, uh, maybe with some screen passes, whatever it may be, short underneath passes to the to the running backs, I don't think it's going to be lethal. I don't think it's going to be the knockout punch. I think the 49ers uh, will be able to kind of respond and make adjustments at halftime, one of the best teams in the NFL at halftime adjustments. So I, I like to see how that, how that matches up. Um, you know, let's wrap it up here. We're talking about the Saints, 49ers, Sunday, huge matchup. 
You know how we do here at the Red and Gold Standard. We pick one player, try and pick their stats, and then we give you a final score prediction. Anthony, you want to go first? You want me to go first? Yeah, let's get this rolling, man. Uh, I got you. I brought it up earlier, George Kittle. I think he's going to have a big game. I think he's going to have a big day. I think the Saints are going to try and match up Lattimore on him if they can, although I think Lattimore is just going to patrol the field, match up whoever he has in front of him. But I don't think Dennis Allen will be afraid to match up Sean Payton, or excuse me, match up George Kittle and Marshawn Lattimore. But George Kittle, man, I think he's going to go for over 100 yards. I think he's going to have two touchdowns. I don't think the Saints are ready for George Kittle, dude. I don't think they're ready to see what it's like to take on a top three tight end, top one tight end. And, I mean, the last good tight end Sean Payton has probably seen was either Gronkowski or uh, uh, Tony Gonzalez. And you know how long ago that was. But in, in any event, though, man, I think George Kittle's going to have a big day. I'm thinking a hundred. I'm going to say 124 yards, dude, and two touchdowns. And he's also going to have a couple pancakes, too, because that dude is the, blessed, the best damn blocking tight end in all of football. I love it. I love it. Definitely put some respect on his name as a blocker. Like you said, Doug Gottlieb, what the hell are you talking about? Um, as far as for my player, I kind of talked about it earlier as well. Jimmy Garoppolo, I think he's going to have a big game, and I think um, he needs to have a big game. I don't think he needs to have a big game. I think it's it's going to be the cherry on top, it, you could say. I think the 49ers have a big game running. But for me, I'm going to go with Jimmy Garoppolo. I th- I'm going to say... 275, three scores, and I'm, I'm, I have faith in him, man. I have faith in him. Controlled environment, Superdome, no rain like there was last week. They were playing in an all-out thunderstorm or, you know, no thunder, obviously, just the term. They're just playing out in an all-out storm. Um, I like his chances here in a controlled environment. I'm going to say 275 yards, two scores, and no turnovers. Most importantly, no turnovers for Jimmy Garoppolo. You love to see it. Um, and uh, as far as the final score predictions, I don't think it's going to be as close, uh, to be honest with you. I think the 49ers are going to win comfortably. I'm going to say, I'm going to say they win 28 to 17. Ah, Zach, you sound too much like a homer. Too homery, bro. Niners 42, Saints 14. I think the, Ni- I think the Saints are going to score in garbage time. I think... Salah and those boys are going to pitch a shutout in the first half. And I think overall, the Niners are going to force three interceptions from Breeze. I think they're going to make someone fumble. And I think they're just going to ball out, bro. So what did I say? 42 to 14? I think the Niners are going to blow it up. And I think they're going to show everyone why they're they're the real number one team in football. Wow. All right. That's that's definitely a hell of a prediction there. I love it. Uh, moving on to wrap things up, guys. Moving on to our RGS mailbag. Uh, you send us the questions on Twitter. We respond here. Our first question is from Zay Ward. Anthony, do the 49ers win the division? It's going to come down to Week 17, Seattle Niners. I don't care if it's in Seattle. I don't care if the Niners have struggled on the road in Seattle for how many years. I don't think they haven't won in Seattle since 2013. So, Yes. I think the Niners are going to win the division, and I think if it comes down to Seattle, I think they're going to freaking hand Wilson the fattest L he's ever taken, arguably the biggest L he's taken since the Super Bowl when he threw that dumb pick. So, yeah, bro, I think the Niners are going to win the division, and I think they're going to just prove a lot of people wrong, man. They're going to show a lot of doubters why they're the real deal. Okay, all right. Um, As far as my answer, yes. I think they win the division. I have full confidence in them. Uh, if the 49ers win out, they win the division. It's simple as that. If they win out, they have uh, not only they, not only do they win the NFC West, but they have the first seed in the NFC. So um, I like their chances. The Saints, excuse me, the Seahawks barely beat them, and they were injured. Um, I, I, I think that they're they, they face them healthy week 17. I know it's in Seattle, just like you said. They haven't won there since, like, 20, 2013. But I think this is the team to do it. Um, second question of our RGS mailbag is from Sherman. Uh, with Brita getting healthy, will Kyle Shanahan go with the hot hand at running back from here on out? 
Or do you think that he kind of goes based on the opposing teams and the weaknesses that he feels he can exploit? So I think it's a mix of both. I think he's going to ride the hot hand, like I brought up earlier. If Breda isn't healthy and Breda's not really feeling it, I think we will see Mostert and Coleman more. But if Breda is fine, I think, you know, a lot of what we saw early in the season when Breda was healthy was how much of a matchup nightmare he was on linebackers and DBs. So I can see uh, I can see Shanahan and those guys going empty set, lining Breda out wide, getting him matched up on anyone, and just make a play with him, dude. So it's going to be rotational, but God, this sounds like such a silly answer, but it's going to be rotational and whoever has the hot hand. I think it's going to be rotational when it comes to who's who's catching the ball out of the backfield. As for running the ball, though, I think it will definitely be the hot hand. Okay. Um, you know, that that actually makes sense. Um, I, I think that it's going to go based off of who he feels he can exploit, as always, but also it's going to go based off of injuries. Um, you know, like we said, unfortunately, Breed has kind of had that injury this season and, you know, dating back to last season, he played through it, kind of made it a little worse. Um, I saw he got a little bit, uh, upset this week responding to Matt Barr on Twitter. And, uh, he, he kind of said, you know, Hey, I've only missed five games in my career yet. I'm always being called injury prone. And he was kind of, you know, he was kind of upset that at the label, but, you know, you can you can definitely see that. Unfortunately, he 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 starts a lot of games. He doesn't. He's not able to finish. So hopefully that's not the case moving forward. The 49ers are a much better team with a healthy Matt Breida in the backfield. Um, so I think that they definitely go based off of opposing teams' strengths and weaknesses and what they can exploit. But I like Breida definitely um, if he's healthy. So uh, wrapping it up here, we have. Um, our standard shout outs, things that we find on Twitter, on social media, online that we kind of find interesting. Um, Anthony, I'll go ahead and start here. My first uh, standard shout out is, let's see, that since George Kittle last season kind of had some drop issues, I saw this as well on Pro Football Focus. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, Last season, he finished tied third for most drops amongst tight ends in 2018. Uh, he's definitely improved on that. He's worked on it. He put in the hours, and he hasn't dropped a single ball on 66 targets. Uh, the next best at his position is Tyler Higby, who has 40 targets without a drop. So I just think that it's, you know, I think it's amazing. Or excuse me, he just has 40 targets in general, Tyler Higby. Zero drops on 66 targets. George Kittle, the man, is a beast. All right. So first individual shout-out before my last shout-out is a pretty larger one. But what about Fred Warner, man? John Harbaugh was talking about how Fred Warner wasn't even a draftable player. He said, and I quote, He was drafted in the third round, and most people didn't have him as a draft pick, Harbaugh said last week. And then he says, and look at him, he's playing great. Well, a lot of projections I saw based off of what I remember is that Fred Warner was between the third and the fifth rounds. He was a middle round guy. So I think Harbaugh was more referring to how I think his people didn't have a draftable grade on him. But, you know, we don't know how Harbaugh thinks. The whole Harbaugh family is kind of weird. But in any event, though, dude. Warner is balling out, and then Warner finishes the quote after hearing that by saying, I saw the comment, and I'm saving that for later. So shout out to Fred Warner, man. The dude is balling out. The guy is playing at an defensive MVP type level, arguably a Pro Bowl type level, all pro type level, I mean. And he's just proving a lot of people wrong. You know, Warner showed up. He's showing out. And, you know, he's not getting talked about for depoy enough just because I think he's a linebacker. And it's generally hard for linebackers to win the award, in my opinion. So, shout out to Warner, man. He's balling out. He's a stud. And the last thing, he's showing up a lot of people, man. He's showing up a ton of people. Yeah, that, that quote by John Harbaugh kind of made me scratch my head when he said that he wasn't draftable. Um, It almost made me think kind of was he talking out of his ass you know did he did he even know who they were talking about um it, it just kind of seems like one of those answers where you go in there and you don't really know what you're talking about but you're just trying to bs your way through it and kind of trying to seem like you're you know that you know the the subject at hand um my standard shout out here 
Debo Samuel definitely emerges a big time receiving threat for the 49ers. Uh, since week 10, Debo Samuel ranks fifth among all wide receivers in yards per route run at 2.57 yards per route run. And his 167 yards after the catch uh, in that same span is third among all wide receivers. Debo is absolutely balling out. You love to see it. You love the 49ers to finally have uh, a threat, a young threat on the outside. And we just can't wait to see it continue. I agree 100%, bro. And last shout out for me. I know a lot of what's been going on in the NFL are the my cause, my cleats uh, showing, if you will. And I just want to shout out to every Niner and every football player that's doing the whole my cause thing. I think the NFL played it really smart when they diverted the whole breast cancer thing into just everything. Now, I'm not knocking breast cancer, but the fact that the NFL decided to say, hey, you know, let's focus on every form of cancer, if you will, was huge. And I think that's in the month of October. And to do the My Cause, My Cleats once again, even though ironically the NFL likes to suspend players and fine players for wearing inappropriate cleats, hence Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. <laughs> but but anyways, though, this, that's a whole different thing. You know, the Niners and all these guys wearing the My Cause, My my cleats thing, you know, it's just a lot of fun to watch. It's really amazing to go out there and see how many of these players really care about, you know, physical, mental ailments, illnesses, physical abuse, you know, domestic violence, animal abuse. It could be anything. You know, I think Kyle Juszczyk or whoever it is has uh, ocean awareness. So it's things of that nature that I just really enjoy seeing from every player in the NFL. And it's just an awesome thing to see, man. So shout out to everyone. I love the My Cause, My Cleats. And the fact that it all goes to a good cause at the end of the day is really big, man. It's huge. It really matters a lot. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I like that the players get to choose uh, their own cause. Just like you said, though, it is a bit hypocritical of the NFL to kind of promote it after they kind of find players and they're really, really strict about the dress code. Uh, you saw earlier this season uh, the, the Browns receivers, I believe it was uh, OBJ and Jarvis Landry, they were told at halftime if they didn't change their cleats that they would be able to finish the game. So now I, I, it's just it's funny that they're kind of saying, hey, you know, pick your own as long as it's, you know, something, you know, and I'm going to sound dumb here, but something positive. Of course, it's supposed to be positive, but the, the player should have the choice regardless. That's all I'm trying to say here. Obviously, if it's something that's not, not, you know, profane or uh, offensive, it shouldn't matter. They shouldn't be fine. They shouldn't be forced to sit out. That's just kind of my little rant on this. But regardless, thank you guys very, very much for tuning in to another episode of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. If you guys like what you hear, if you like what we have going on here, please, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen in on. We really appreciate it. We see them all. Uh, they make our day. So please leave us a, a, a review. If you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, you can feel free to tweet us at RGSPod. Uh, I'm Zach Hernandez. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Zach Hernan. Anthony, say goodnight to the folks. Let them know where they can find you at on Twitter. Thanks for sticking around with us, everyone. Zach, another awesome podcast as always, bro. So as usual, to find me on Twitter, Perry underscore 49ers. That's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49-E-R-S. Let's get out of here, man. Great show. Can't wait till we play the Saints, dude. It's going to be one hell of a game, although I think it's going to be a blowout. <laughs> All right. I love it. I love it. I love how uh, you called me a homer. I, I'm hoping this was said sarcastically. Uh, you called me a homer, and then you go with a blowout punch. I love it. Absolutely. Um, thank you guys again for tuning in. Hopefully we can catch up with you guys after the 49ers are 11-2. and two. <laughs>